Steve says, you're up. And I said, I'm just a little slow to get up. Leave me alone. <laughs> I brush hog, finished brush hogging yesterday, the roughest part of our pasture, and I feel like I've been beat to death. So uh, give me a break. <laughs> if you would, please bow your heads with me this morning. Gracious Heavenly Father, God, I stand in awe in your presence. Lord, we all come humbly before you this morning. Lord, seeking your, your presence on our lives. Lord, seeking your wisdom, your grace, and your mercy. God, I pray that everyone here today, God, came seeking your presence. God, that everybody here is single-minded today. Lord, that you're the only thing in focus. Lord, that you're the only need that they have. Because God... I know that you're the only thing that matters. So God, help us unify today in that need and that want for you and your presence. Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would fall on this place. God, that lives would be forever changed. God, that we would gain knowledge and wisdom from your word. And Lord, that we might find peace and comfort in your mercy and in your glory. God, help us today. Lord, we pray that you be with those that are not here for whatever reason. God, that they would feel your presence for wherever they're at. God, we just pray for our country. Pray for our leaders, Lord, as they're battling the same things, just on a much larger scale, God, that we're battling here in our own community. God, I pray that every step that we would take would be towards your kingdom. God, be with us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I learned a, a lesson this week. Um, I always tell everybody, you know, the messages are hard. To receive them sometimes is even harder, but I just want you guys to know that I receive everything that you receive just a little earlier in the week. So I get the same lessons that you guys get, and, and sometimes um, they fall hard and they fall strong. Um, but sin left unattended or unchecked is what I want to talk about today. And I'm going to take you um, through the story of Eli a little bit. And I'm going to skip over some verses, but I wanted you guys to know, and if you haven't read that story, then I, I pray that you would go back and read it. But I want to start you off with this. Just something to think about. Proverbs verse, or chapter 27, verse 20 says, Hell and destruction are never full, so the eyes of men are never satisfied. I want you to think about that for a second. It says, hell and destruction are never full, always gaining. So we have to be vigilant always at what we're seeking to find. Uh, I had a garden one time when I was, when I was living alone. I was a bachelor. Um, I decided to plant this big, huge garden behind my house. And... Uh, I knew very little about it, but my grandma Juanita, she had experience in a garden, and I thought, I'm going to plant the same size of garden that you've got, and it's going to be great. I'm going to learn to can, I'm going to learn to do all these things, and it's going to be good. So I tilled, and I planted under my grandma's tutelage, and as the plants started to come up, I watered, and I took care of it, and I reared them. And then like any other um, early 20-year-old, other things became more important in my life. 
And so I left my garden unattended. So Grandma called me one day and she said, how are your plants doing? They've got to be producing fruits and vegetables by now. And I said, I'll be honest with you, I haven't even walked down there and seen I see a lot of green down there, but I don't know what it is. And she said, well, I'm going to come over and let's look at it. So she comes over and she's got a bucket and a couple bags expecting to pick the harvest. And we get down there and she's like, man, it really grew great. And I said, well, how can you tell? She's like, she's got weeds taller than your plants. <laughs> and so we started digging. And what we found was the fruits of my labor that I had put in. They were underneath the weed growth. They were small and deprived of nutrients. And she said, you know, for your first garden, you didn't do too bad. She said, but if you'd have kept all this other stuff out of here, you'd have done great. She said, it would have been easy picking. We wouldn't have had to watch out for snakes. And your vegetables would have been way bigger than what they are. Things left unattended spoil the fruits of our labor. Sin left unattended grows into a bigger sin. It never goes away. So like the weeds that sprang up in my garden didn't completely spoil my harvest, but it made it way less than what it could have been. It dimmed it down. You couldn't even tell what it was. And my grandma started picking weeds as she started in, she started picking weeds as she was picking vegetables and going through it. And I was like, Grandma, <laughs> like, this is going to take a week, solid 12 hours a day to pick all these weeds out of here. She's like, well, it can still be salvaged if you want it. I didn't want it at the time. <laughs> it was not that important to me. And my grandma didn't need to be out there weeding my garden. <laughs> but my garden, like our hearts, no matter how much weed and sin has grown up in them, are always still salvageable. I want you to know that as you sit here today, that the past that haunts you doesn't have to haunt your future anymore. That if we allow Jesus in to tend our garden, and if we tend our relationship with the Lord and Savior, that the fruits we produce will be much bigger, much more vibrant, and much more useful. Because when we take time to nourish the things that need to be nourished and attend the things that need to be tend, your produce or your product becomes bigger and greater. We as Christians have a lot of responsibility. It's not just a matter of saying yes to Jesus, but it comes with the responsibility. Obviously, our first responsibility is when God calls us to the cross and when God calls us to accept Christ as Savior, that's our first step in our first direction. When we talk about fruits of the labor, they're a product of our salvation, not for our salvation. That's what we have to remember. Salvation is a free gift that God gave us through His dying Son, Jesus, that was resurrected and now sits on the right hand of the Father. But our salvation should produce things in our lives if we attend it. You know, to, to produce fruit and the things that God talks about in these things, it says you have to stay attached to the vine, right? The limb is a product of the strength of the vine. Well, our strength of our vine 
is Christ. So we have to stay attached and plugged in because he tells us that if it is not producing fruit and that limb is dead, he cuts it off, puts it in the fire. It's not useful. So in our relationship with God and with our Savior, we have to stay attentive to it. Dylan, what would happen if you never attended to Karina? And you just went and did whatever you wanted to do, and you never talked to her, never anything. The relationship wouldn't be there. It just wouldn't be there. You wouldn't have a relationship. Relationships take attention, and they take time. Sin is the same way. Sin is the same way. If left unchecked and unattended, and we just think we can sweep it under the rug and that it will go away, we are lying to ourselves, and Satan is sitting there with a big fat grin on his face. Because sin left unattended is still harboring inside of you, and it's still having an effect on you, and it's not only having an effect on you, but effect on other people. You know, it's funny when God shows you something. This week... And it's been happening for a couple weeks, but God finally showed me as simple as simple as my front door, right? So you got the deal that sticks out when you turn the knob, it retracts and goes back in. Well, it's got two screws that hold it in there. And then you got the striker plate on the door frame that, you know, allows it to lock in there. I was going to do a picture because I'm not a great at explaining things, but I didn't take a picture either. But anyway, that striker plate pushes that deal in there to allow your door not to open back without turning the knob. One of the screws on the bottom of that deal that sticks out will eventually wiggle its way out over time. Since we've built our house, it's been almost two years now, I've put it back in like four times. I don't know what the deal is. I don't know why it keeps wiggling back out. But I noticed as I shut the door this week, one of several times that I shut the door this week, that it's grinding again. That that screw is grinding on that striker plate. Well, I got to looking at that striker plate, and it's ground so much that it's left a groove in it. But see, I've left it undetended so much that now it's affecting other pieces. Anybody get an idea where I'm going with this? When sin in your life is left unattended, it starts making a groove in other people's lives. It starts making a groove in our culture. It starts making a groove in our community. And it starts affecting way more than what it ever had. If I had put that screw back in right off the bat, it would have never started making a groove in that striker plate. You know, God's funny that way. He shows you these things, and he gives you these things so that you can learn from it. You can see it physically because I'm a pretty dense individual. It takes me quite a few times. You know, it says don't repeat a sin. Man, if I learned it the first time every time, whoo, um, I'm not like that, though. He's going to show me things over and over again. Like I said, this is about the fourth time since we built our house that I've put that screw back in. But eventually what's going to have to have left unattended, that screw will continue to work its way out. That gouge in that striker plate will get deeper and deeper and deeper. And one of two things will happen. That screw will either break off and I'll have to get a new one or it's going to ruin that striker plate. But where I'm going with this is sin unattended will eventually ruin you. Things left unattended, 
your oil in your vehicle left unchecked, a garden unplowed, will eventually ruin it. It will eventually ruin it. I'm going to start, and like I said, I'm going to read a lot out of Samuel this morning because I want you to get the full story of what happens with Eli and his family. Now, Eli was a high priest in Israel and a direct descendant of Aaron. I'm going to start in 1 Samuel chapter 2. First Samuel chapter 2. I'm also going to mention, if you didn't go to the back-to-school rally on Friday night, you guys missed out. It was great. It was absolutely fantastic. David had a great message. There was about 150 people there. Um, a big group of kids. Man, we get to pray over them. We get to pray over teachers and administration. There was great singing, great food and fellowship. Um, an awesome opportunity that's part of attending the body of Christ. We have to attend our relationship not only with our Savior, but with our body of Christ, the body that comes together unified in one spirit and one mind under one salvation, one baptism. There's only one of all these things because there's one path, right? I mean, we in our lives may go like this and go like this and go like this and come around and circle back around and do a couple figure eights and a couple la dahs in there. But if you want to get to the gate of heaven, that's through the sun. One way. It says one way through the sun. Anyway, 1 Samuel chapter 2, starting in verse 12. It says, Now the sons of Eli were sons of Belial. They knew not the Lord. Right? We know there's a problem already, right? Because they're serving evil. It says already that they knew not the Lord. We have to remember that Eli, not only was he a priest, but he was one of the last real judges that were left. And it says that he was a great judge. But his sons, they knew not the Lord. Verse 13, it says, And the priest's custom with the people was that when any man of offered sacrifice, the priest's servant came while the flesh was in seething, with a flesh hook and three teeth in his hand, and he struck it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. All that the flesh hook brought up to the priest took for himself. So they did in Shiloh unto all the Israelites that came hither. And I want you to know that that was in Shiloh and Shiloh alone. This is not how sacrifices were be to prepared. Once they put in a sacrifice, they didn't take in a fork and dig up what they wanted out of God's offering. But that's what these boys were doing. They would put in the offering... And then they would go and they would take what they wanted out of the Lord's offering. That's what it talked about right there. In verse 15, it says, Also, before they burnt the fat, the priest's servant came and said to the man that sacrificed, Give flesh to the roast for the priest, for he will not have sodden flesh of thee, but raw. And if any man said unto him, Let them not fail to burn the fat presently, and then take as much as thy soul desireth, then he would answer him, Nay, but thou shalt give it to me now, and if not, I will take it by force. Wherefore, the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. So these boys that would take up the offerings did basically whatever they wanted to do. 
The people of Israel would bring in their offerings for the Lord God, and these boys just did whatever they wanted with it. And if the people refused, because they said, that's not the way it's supposed to be done, that's not what I'm bringing my offering for, it is not for you, it is for God, they said, shut your mouth and give it to me now. So we can just imagine if that happened, right? If you bring your tithe in, and I sat back there at the back door with a bucket, and I'm just like, shake your pockets, give it to me, and I grabbed you by your heels, you know, like on a cartoon, and, and brought it all out of you. Took everything that you had to offer. It would be a ruin, right? These people of Israel knew that, but there wasn't alone in anything they could do about it. Skip down to verse 22. It says, Now Eli which is their father, was very old and heard all that his sons did unto all of Israel and how they lay with the women that assembled at the door of the tabernacle and the congregation. And he said unto them, Why do ye such things? Hold on, I'm back up for a second. I forgot to mention a point. The people that brought offerings knew how it should be done, Right? How do you think they knew? Because they had listened to the word. They had listened to God's instruction, probably from Eli, at one juncture, and knew what was supposed to take place. If you don't know what is supposed to take place, how are you supposed to know what is to take place? I'm asking you that today because we live in a world that's going to tell you tons and tons of tons of things. The more information they can give you, the better. Why? Because it clouds judgment. And you get so confused, you don't know what's going on. That's what the world wants to feed you. It says, hell and destruction are never full. There can't be a maximum amount of lies that the world can feed you. You have to know where your salvation lies. Right? You have to know for yourself. That's why I'm telling you. I'm going to skip through some passages in 1 Samuel today. But I want you to go back and read it so that you know the story in full. Because what if I'm standing up here tricking you? What if I'm standing up here telling you things that don't line up with God's word? If you don't know God's word, you will not know that I'm not telling you the truth. Now, I would never do that. But I'm not the only one that stands behind a pulpit. I'm not the only one that stands in the presence of God that will receive his judgment there are tons of people out there today leading tons of other people astray we as christians have to know why we believe what we believe why do you have hope if somebody comes up to you today and says why is it that you have hope and why should i have it can you give an answer or do you just give your theory on why you have it or can you give a scriptural answer as to why we have hope. I'm not saying that you have to know the Bible inside and out because I do not. My wife knows it way better than what I do. I can be like, I think it's in there somewhere. You know, first half, second half, I'm pretty good with that. Old Testament, New Testament, sometimes they even mess up on that. For a long time, you know, Chronicles and uh, Corinthians. Corinthians. Yes, thank you. You know, and that's what I'm saying. You have to know. You have to know. You have to know why you hope. 
You have to know where your hope lies, and you need to know the way to salvation. That way, if somebody asks you the question, you have an answer. It's important. It's a basic responsibility of everybody that accepts Christ because the one thing that we have to do is go tell other people why. We have to go tell other people the truth. And the truth is, is that Jesus Christ came, walked this earth, was murdered, buried, and resurrected, and he sits on the right hand of the Father. What does it have to do with my salvation? Keep going, right? These are basic truths that we need to know, that we need to stand on, that the actions of these young men were leading people astray, even the people that knew it was wrong. They only knew for one reason, because they got in and they knew it. So the effects of their sin were great, because they stood in the house of the Lord. They stood in the tabernacle. They were Eli's sons, and they were priests. And they were supposed to be holy and righteous. That's why we can't walk blindly. We have to know God's word. And you can't rely on me to get you to heaven. You've got to know that you know that you know. And it comes from the true, absolute, true word of God. Verse 22. It says, Now Eli was very old and heard all of that his sons had did unto Israel, and how they lay with the women that assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And he said unto them, Why do you such things? For I hear of your evil dealings by all this people. Nay, my sons, for it is no good report that I hear. You make the Lord's people to transgress. If one man sin against another, the judge shall judge him. But if a man sin against the Lord, who shall entreat him? notwithstanding that they hearken not unto the voice of their father, because the Lord would slay them. So all these things that are happening, right? All these, these two sons, and Eli's hearing word of it, and he's like, my gosh, what are you guys doing up there? It's terrible what you're doing. You need to quit. That's about as far as he went. You need to stop. You need to stop. He didn't take action. It says they didn't even know the Lord. So in Scripture tells me that if you train up a child in the way of the Lord, they will never depart. So what does that tell me? That Eli did not rear them from their youth. But because of their bloodline, they had a place in the tabernacle. That's what we have to learn. Just because a person is in a certain position doesn't mean that they got there on merit or knowledge, right? But because you know somebody that knows somebody. So we have to look at the fruit that's produced by people and the fruit that was being produced. Even the Israelites offering their sacrifices could see. But Eli, being their father, said, sons, it is no good report that I hear of you. You make the Lord's people transgress. So he knows what's going on. He's heard it. He knows what his sons are doing. And he knows that it's killing the people of Israel, right? Because sin left unattended has an effect not only on yourself, but every other people. Every drug addict will at once say, at least once say, it doesn't affect anybody besides me, right? We've all heard that 
when we tell somebody that they need to quit a bad habit of what they're doing. It doesn't affect anybody besides me. That is a lie straight from hell. Because everything that you do affects somebody else besides yourself. It does. It absolutely does. It doesn't matter what you do. It has an effect on another person. So let's stop lying to ourselves and saying that this little sin that I'm harboring, that I'm not really taking care of, well, it's just my sin. It's not affecting anybody because I do it in darkness. That's where sin hides. Nobody else knows about it. So it's okay. That sin, I can assure you, sin done in darkness when brought to light is painful. It's embarrassing. But it's worth it. Amen. It's worth it. Whenever you bring a hidden sin to light and you no longer have to carry the burden of hiding a shameful sin is relieving to say the least, right? And guess what? You take out this wedge that has become a piece of your relationship with God. Because of that hidden sin that you don't deal with, it hinders your relationship with God. Why? Because you're not thinking about God when you're sinning. It's usually an afterthought, right? It's usually a right after. Like, oh, I shouldn't have done that, right? I said something to my son the other day, and I was like, oh, I wish I could take that back. I shouldn't have said that. Now, it wasn't that bad, but I really wish I hadn't have said it because I was angry, and he was doing something he wasn't supposed to, and I said it, and I was like, hmm, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have said that. But your sin has an effect. You carry a weight, at the very least, that when a person knows you, they will notice it. Because you will go hide in darkness with that sin to commit it. So you're leaving something behind, and that's light. And whenever you leave the light to go into darkness, it affects people. It affects people. It affects people. I want you to know today that you have an effect on people, and that's why we can't leave sin unattended right? It hinders the fruit. It hinders the growing process. It's a stumbling block for the church. It's a stumbling block for your community, your spouse, your children. Sin isn't to be dealt with lightly. Eli said, boys, quit. The sins that they were committing were infecting an entire nation. And all he has to say is, boys, quit. My son ran around here one day in a Spider-Man costume, and we had a very long talk when we got home. It affected church that day. Not necessarily in a negative way. Everybody thought it was pretty funny, except for mom and dad. <laughs> Sin has to be dealt with sternly. Because why? Sin should make us angry. We should not like sin. We shouldn't like the thought of sin. We shouldn't like seeing sin. We should definitely not associate with sin, right? We have to take control of sin. Jesus tells us to take every thought captive and make it obey him. I think that was Paul that said that. But we have to take every thought captive and make it obey Christ. Because if we allow our thoughts to run wild and free and we can just do whatever we want to do, there are consequences for sin, and it's the unraveling of the church. 
It's the unraveling of our communities. It's allowing abortions to take place in our society where we kill and murder thousands and millions of babies. It's, it turns into a nation turning away from God is what it turns into. That's what happens when you leave sin unattended. This country has left sin unattended for far too long. That's why we're in the present state that we are. Sin unattended, it'll just go away. Surely they won't keep doing it. There's no way somebody would do that. I can't believe they said that. They wouldn't do that to me, right? We've heard all these things. Why? Because confronting sin is hard. It is. Confronting sin is hard. When somebody's done you wrong, it's not an easy conversation to approach them out of love and adoration to lift them higher to the king, right? When somebody does me wrong, I kind of want to do exactly the opposite. When you see sin happening, what's your first thought? I didn't see that. I'm going to keep walking, right? When you see something on TV, do you flip the channel? You know, Davin made one point Friday night that I would like to make here as far as concerning what we see and what we take in. And I think it's very important. We look at our kids and we tell our kids that they can't filter through all the stuff that comes through media, right? You're not old enough. You don't know how to deal. You can't separate it. Guess what, adults? You can't either. You can't either. What you take in is already in. You have to digest it. So what you hear, you've already heard. You can't unhear it. What you see, you've already seen. You can't unsee it. We have to be very careful of what we're taking in because it corrupts us from the inside out. I think it's very important because we watch our children, but how often do we watch ourselves? Right? Or at least I hope you're watching your children because I want my kids to be better than I ever thought about being. I hope that they're better than me. But Eli was allowing this sin with very little regard. Verse 27, still in chapter 2. It says, There came a man of God unto Eli, and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Did I plainly appear unto the house of the Father when they were in Egypt and Pharaoh's house? I mean, I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to offer upon my altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me. And did I give unto the house of thy father all the offerings made by fire of the children of Israel? Wherefore, kick ye at my sacrifice and at my offering, which I have commanded in my habitation, and honor thy sons above me, to make yourselves fat with the chiefest of all offerings of the Israel, my people. So he's saying, what are you doing? This guy brought word to Eli, and God is saying, what are you doing that you're choosing your sons above me? Because you're allowing this to take place. You're permitting sin in my house, and you're permitting the corruption of the offerings that were made for me. Therefore, you choose your sons above me. Think about that, dads, grandparents. Sometimes it's not always easiest to discipline your children. I've actually cried after I've disciplined my children because it's hurtful. But to not correct them is for setting them up for failure for the future. 
If I just let my kids run wild and free, they'll be the same as things as when they're adults. Correction is good. God corrects us, right? How many of you felt like they've been corrected by God? And it hurts sometimes. But I correct my children because I want them to succeed later in life. I want them to be directed towards the kingdom of God. I don't want them to lie, cheat, and steal. I want them to love and prosper and show people the kingdom of God. That's why I teach them a certain way now so that when they get older, if they choose to do something different, it's not because I haven't ingrained it into them. Everybody has to make their own choice. My mom told me one time when... Right when we had Peyton. She's like, the only thing that you can do is teach them right from wrong and hope they make the right decision later. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's it? That's all I can do? Like, that is so scary to me. I mean, let's face it, I haven't made the best decisions in my life, and I'm supposed to teach somebody else how to make better decisions than I did and then just hope that they make the right decision? That's it? That seems super scary to me. But that's why you do the things that you do now. Otherwise, if not, you'll have children that grow up as they started out in chapter 2, verse 12. Now the sons of Eli were sons of Belial. They knew not the Lord. That is on you as a parent. If your children do not know God it better be because they chose not to and not because you didn't tell them about it. That falls on you. I want you to know that. That as a parent, that responsibility to tell your children about God and Jesus Christ is your responsibility and you will be held accountable. I believe it fully, but that's where we're at in this country that we live in. Nobody wants to take responsibility. Verse 30, it says, Wherefore the Lord God of Israel saith, I said indeed that thy house and the house of the Father should walk before me forever. But now the Lord saith, Be it far from me, for them that honor me I will honor, and they that despise me shall be lightly esteemed. He's not changing what he promised. He just said, Them that honor me, I will honor them back, and them that don't, I'm going to take away their power. I'm going to take away their authority. He's not changing his, his promise to the lineage, but he said, I'm going to take away my power. I'm going to withdraw my power from them. It says, Behold, the days come that I will cut off thy arm and the arm of thy father's house, and there shall not be an old man in thy house. God's telling Eli, like, listen, because of what you've done and the, the things that you've allowed to happen... I'm taking your power, and I'm not going to allow anybody to grow old in your house. And it says, And thou shalt see an enemy in my habitation, and all the wealth which God shall give Israel, and there shall not be an old man in thy house forever. And the man of thine, who I shall not cut off from my altar, shall be to consume thy eyes, and to grieve thy heart, and all the increase of thy house shall die in the flower of their age. And this shall be a sign unto thee that shall come upon thy two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, and in one day they shall 
died both of them. And I will raise me up a faithful priest. That shall do according to that which is in my heart and in my mind. And I will build him a sure house. And he shall walk before mine anointed forever. And it shall come to pass that everyone that is left in thine house shall come and crouch to him for a piece of silver and a morsel of bread and shall say, Put me, I pray thee, into one of the priest's offices that I may eat a piece of bread. God says, I'm not changing what I'm doing, but because you've dishonored me and you've corrupted my house, I'm going to pick somebody different. I'm going to pick somebody that will honor me. I'm going to pick somebody that will go in my way, that will walk towards me, that knows what's in my heart, that knows how to get there, and they know what they're going to do. Do you think that this was easy for God? I don't know, probably not. But God is fully righteous. That's what we have to understand. Because Israel was failing at the hand of one he can also restore it at the hand of one, right? There's scripture in there that says because of one man, the whole world fell in sin, but by one man, the whole world that was saved. Talking about Adam and talking about Jesus. See, he wasn't giving up on his people. He didn't say, I'm forsaking my people because God says quite the opposite. He says, I will never forsake my people. He just says, I got to have a different man that is willing to seek after my heart and to do things for my glory. He's not giving up on anybody. He's just saying, I got to find somebody else. God's will be done, right? That's what Jesus said in the garden. Not mine, but yours. God, I'm here for you. If you can take it, please take it. If you can't, I'm here to serve you however hard it might be or however easy it might be. There's not a whole lot of easies in there, I can assure you. But worth it. That's what we have to understand. It says the suffering that you feel now is temporary and it doesn't even stand in comparison to the glory that is to come. You guys are battling. I get it, man. I'm battling. But we have to keep confronting sin. We have to keep attending the sin that's in our own flesh. We have to keep realizing that it is there so that we don't lose track of it, so that we don't bury it deeper, so that it can be pulled to the surface and light can shine on it, so that God can cast it away from us and we don't have to deal with it anymore. Right? But sometimes we've got to dig deep. Sometimes it's embarrassing. Right? Who wants to admit their own sin in front of a crowd? <laughs> I don't. But are we willing, if that's the way God has called us to do it, and he says, if you go stand in front of a crowd, and you say, I deal with this sin, and I will take it from you, are you willing to do it? not saying that that's ever going to happen, but I will tell you that the way to get rid of darkness is expose it to light. We can't just let it go and say it's going to be all right. Look where we're at, guys. Look where our community is at. Look where our country is at. Because we said, you know, it's a hard talk. It's a hard conversation. I'm just going to let it sit over here so I don't have to. 
these talks are not easy. I can imagine what Eli is sitting there thinking. Chapter 3, verse 10. <clears throat> this is where Samuel comes into play. Samuel has been dropped off by Hannah at his house to rear him in the ways of the Lord, and Samuel is seeking after the Lord. In verse 10, chapter 3, verse 10, it says, And the Lord came and stood and called, as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel answered, Speak, for thy servant heareth. And the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do a thing in Israel, at which both the ears of every one that heareth it shall tingle. In that day I will perform against Eli all the things which I have spoken concerning his house. When I begin, I will also make an end. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knoweth, because his sons made themselves vile, and he restrained them not. And therefore have sworn unto the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be purged with sacrifice nor offering forever. So God's saying, Samuel, I'm coming to fulfill the promises that I gave Eli. Everything that I've told him I'm going to do, I'm here to do. See, Eli's getting punished because he didn't restrain his kids. But I'm not talking about just kids in this instance. I'm talking about any sin that ever lived inside of you. If you do not restrain them, if you do not become to hate them, to run away from them, then they will eat you up from the inside out, and death will be your answer. See, we shouldn't grow comfortable with sin. We should grow increasingly uncomfortable with the sin inside of us. As we walk closer to the Lord, the darkness should become less. As we fill with more light, there's less darkness, right? Spiritual growth. We've been talking about it for a while. We talk about it on Wednesday nights. We talk about it on Sunday mornings. Why is that important? You can see it laid out in this story why spiritual growth is important because you are not going to be able to help other people effectively if you're still on the milk. You have to switch to the meat to see a bigger produce, to see a bigger gain, to see God work more. You have to draw closer to Him because if you say, Jesus Christ, I accept you as Lord and Savior, I'm in. And that's all you do. And you never change. I don't know, guys. I don't know, guys. It should effectively change your life. When that decision is made, it says you come a new creation, a new creation in Christ. So you can't effectively accept the Lord as your God and stay the same old sinner that you've ever been. I'm not here to doubt anybody's salvation or anything, but I just want you to think about these things that God's word says Eli was a man of God but that doesn't escape him from judgment right he was a judge himself and he failed his children he was a judge himself and he failed his children now God's telling Samuel what he's coming to do in verse 15 it says and Samuel lay until the morning and opened the doors of the house of the Lord and Samuel feared to show Eli the vision could you imagine being that messenger Woo! You want to talk about confronting sin and it being a hard thing? 
Dude, I get it today. God told me last night, today God's coming. Your kids are going to die. You're going to die. Sorry. I can't imagine being that messenger. Then Samuel, or then Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he answered, here I am. And he said, what is the thing that the Lord hath said unto thee? I pray thee, hide it not from me. God do so to thee and more also, if thou hide anything from me of all the things that he said unto you. Right? He's rearing this child right here. He's telling me that God's going to do to you what he's going to do to me, plus more. If you hide anything from me, you have to tell me. He did more in that little bit than he ever did for his own sons, I can imagine, because it said they knew not God. Verse 18, it says, And Samuel told him every wit, and hid nothing from him. And he said, It is the Lord... Let him do what seemeth good. Wow. That's a man stepping up to accept the consequences of his decisions, right? How often do you see that anymore? I messed up. Let it be whatever God has for me. It's good. Eli knew God. Eli knew that God was fully righteous. Eli knew that he would be judged for everything that he did. And so when the judgment's brought to him, it says, It is the Lord, let him do what seemeth good. Because Eli knew that there was no bad in the Lord God. He knew that God was fully good. And so whatever he had for Eli had to be good. Hard, maybe, but good. Chapter 4, starting in verse 12. It says, And there ran a man of Benjamin out of the army and came to Shiloh the same day, with his clothes rent and with earth upon his head. And when he came, lo, Eli sat upon a seat by the wayside watching, for his heart trembled for the ark of God. And when the man came into the city and told it, and all the city cried out. And when Eli heard the noise of the crying, he said, What meaneth the noise of this turmoil? And the man came in hastily and told Eli. If you'll back up, it tells what just happened. In verse 11, it says, And the ark of God was taken, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were slain. So this man is bringing message that the ark of God had been taken, and that Eli's two boys had been killed. It said in verse 15, Now Eli was ninety and eight years old, and his eyes were dim that he could not see. And the man said unto Eli, I am he that came out of the army, and I fled today out of the army. And he said, What is there done, my son? And the messenger answered and said, Israel has fled before the Philistines, and there hath been also a great slaughter among the people. And thy two sons also, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead, and the ark of God is taken. And it came to pass when he made mention of the ark of God that he fell off the seat backwards by the side of the gate and his neck brake, and he died. For he was an old man and heavy, and he had judged Israel forty years. It didn't stop there. Verse 19, it says, And his daughter-in-law, 
Phineas' wife was with child, near to be delivered, and when she heard the tidings that the ark of God was taken and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed herself and travailed, for her pains came upon her. And about the time of her death, the woman stood by her, said unto her, Fear not, for thou hast borne a son. But she answered not, neither did she regard it. She named the child Ichabod, saying, The glory is departed from Israel, because the ark of God was taken, and because her father-in-law and her husband. And she said, The glory is departed from Israel. The ark of God is taken. I'm telling you, go back and read this story, but you can see the complexity that happens from one man's decision not to attend sin, right? There was a great, great, great slaughter, and it tells in there how many people, and it's, it's tens of thousands of people died in that slaughter because the Philistines overtook Israel and took the ark of God. But it's a purification process, Right? Because God is fully righteous. And God is a judge. So look at your lives today. That's what I'm asking you to do. Not only for yourself, but for your family. And not only for your family, but for this community. And not only for this community, but for this country. Because when sin is left unattended... When relationships with God are left unattended and unchanged and ungrowing, you have quite the opposite happen. Because the weeds will come out in a plush garden if left unattended, and they will choke out all the fruit that's to be produced, right? You ever seen a pasture that's been let go for 40 years? We're trying to regain one right now. Guess what? There's no pasture left. If you don't attend it, it will be overgrown. That's what I'm talking about. If you think that you can skate by and catch church once a month, pray once a day, pray once a week, and not have a growing, spontaneous, intimate relationship with the Lord God, I'm telling you that you're going to allow weeds to grow up in there. Because your foundation is not on the solid rock. We have to attend it. Our relationship with the Lord has to be tended to cultivate it so it can grow and produce much fruit so that we're not a limb that dies and cut off and is cast into the fire. I know this is a hard message today, and it was just as hard for me as I learned this lesson this week, and it was very real, and it was very vivid. But this is what happens when sin is left unattended. When relationships with God are left unattended, when relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ are left unattended, we cannot afford any longer to be Christians that sat around leaving sin and the church of God unattended. We just can't. We can't afford it. My children can't afford it. They're dependent on you guys to step up for what is right. This country is dependent on us to stand in the gap for all of its failures. To say, God, right now there's a few more that can be saved. God, right now, because I can still reach my neighbor through your power and your strength. God, that the ridge out by my house, everyone might go to heaven. But it takes a praying child of God to stand in the gap 
for those people. It starts in here. It starts with the sin and darkness in here. We've got to get rid of it. You can't, have, you can't hold both hands. You can't hold both hands. You can't hold sin down here and reach out for praise. You've got to hate what this hand is doing when it reaches out for sin. You have to hate it. You know, it says to just pluck out the eye that sins because it's better for the eye to perish than the whole body. That's what he's getting at. You have to become to hate every being in you that is sinful. You have to hate it and you have to turn to God. In everything that you do, the way that you think, the way that you act, the way that you speak, the way that you sing, the way you walk, everything about you needs to be aimed towards the kingdom of God. We're here today to make that change together. Why? Because the change is easier when you've got a friend to stand beside you. I can go stand at City Hall and I can make a proclamation and it would be hard, but if God told me to do it, I would do it. And I hope that I wouldn't be alone. But whether you're alone or whether you've got friends, if God calls you to do something, do something. And he has called us to check our sin. He has called us to grow towards him. He has called, called us to tell people about the truth. Proverbs 28:13 says, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whosoever confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. We've got to get in this book. We've got to get entrenched in the word of God so that when the devil comes, we know what God's word says. And he will give you a battle plan and he will give you the weapons to fight. But we've got to attend our relationship. We've got to attend our relationship with God. We can't let our sin go unchecked. If you would, please stand. We're going to open up the altars today. Today is important, just like any other day is important. You can choose to lay your sin down at any juncture. You don't need an altar to do it. You need a relationship with God, and he will take it for you. As he said, take on my yoke. Take on my burden. Let me carry yours. You carry mine. Don't leave it unchecked. Don't leave here with sin unchecked today. You have an opportunity to stand in the presence of brothers and sisters in Christ that are not going to judge you. Nobody is judging you as you walk past the crowd to the front. Hopefully, they start praying for you. Because I will pray for you. As I hope you pray for me, because it's important that we pray for one another's success in the kingdom of God. Why? Because it makes all the difference in this whole wide world. It makes all the difference in this whole wide world that God created. People are looking now more than they've ever been looking. Are you doing more work than you've ever been doing? Are you growing closer than you've ever grown? Are you checking that baggage? Like, I know I've still got this, God. That today, 
Today I proclaim it in the name of Jesus. He says, resist the devil and he will flee from me. You do not have the power to overcome by yourself, but through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, you can tell the devil to get out of my house and he will leave. That's what I'm telling you today. Proclaim it. Get out and be serious about it. Don't reach for them as they walk through the door. You have to really want sin out of your life to get it out. You can't say leave. Oh wait, just kidding. It's not like that. It's not like that. So today, we're going to open up the altars. If you've got unchecked sin, if you've been ignoring it for far too long, today's the day to get rid of it. Come forward and get rid of it. Stand at your seat and get rid of it. The important thing is that you start to hate the sin in your life. And you start reaching for a God that loves you. As a church, we have got to stop liking sin so much. We have got to stop bringing it through the doors when we walk in on Sunday, on Wednesday, on Sunday night. Whenever we're here, we've got to stop bringing that sin with us. We've got to start hating it. We've got to start wanting a divide away from it. you need prayed for this morning, come forward. If you need time to pray, come forward. The altars are open.